Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we talk with actors, artists, and creators about their work, career, and current obsessions. I'm your host, Patrick Holland, and today's guest is the actor, Anna Sophia Robb. 2020 has been a huge year for her, with roles on the Hulu miniseries Little Fires Everywhere, the film Words on Bathroom Walls, and the series The Expecting on the now-defunct video service Quibi. Anna Sophia had a very successful career in her youth with roles in Because of Winn-Dixie, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and Bridge to Terabithia, among others. I should note that this interview was recorded in October. Well, first thing, um, Anna Sophia, I should say that we have something in common, and that is both of our fathers are architects. No way! Yeah, now your mom is an interior designer, but I guess... um, Obviously, you spent pretty much your entire life acting, but was there ever a time where you wanted to follow in your parents' footsteps? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was very clear. Both of my parents are artists, so um, I remember doing art projects a lot when I was a kid, and my dad would build models. The, I think the extent was... My, my dad built um, this really incredible uh, tree fort when I was young. It had a suspended staircase and it was pretty dope. Um, it's still in our old house, actually. Um, we don't, we don't, all of us don't live there anymore. But um, I remember he built it and then I would just like perform on top. So that was about <laughs> the extent of, I was like, okay, I got a platform now and I can make a house. It was about playing pretend in the spaces. <laughs> yeah, my, my father had like tons of those like architectural models and he would put them like on the top shelf. So my brother and I would not play like G.I. Joe on them or something because <laughs> that's what they're for, right? They're giant all white forts basically. Is yeah, a dollhouse. Um, Adult house, yeah, exactly. Um, you have so much going on this year. We're going to talk about, try to talk about all those projects. But I'm curious, what have you been doing to stay sane during the pandemic so far? Um, I've been eating apple cider donuts. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I've been, I've been working out. I've been watching movies. I've been getting ready, um, or I've been, I'm working on a show here in New York. I've been doing a lot of different things. I guess. I wanted to talk about another thing that I think a lot of us got to see you in earlier this year or earlier this pandemic, which was um, uh, Little (laughs) Fires Everywhere on Hulu. Tell me about that. Yes, Little Fires. Uh, Just such a privilege to work on. I feel so honored and blessed to have worked with all those women and told that story, especially now. I mean, it's kind of a zeitgeist, zeitgeist piece for 2020. And none of us could have known that you know, a year ago. <laughs> I mean, I guess because it's a constant enduring reality of America. So in that way, it's always a zeitgeist because it's race and class is real and motherhood. Um, but it was, it, was a, it was an amazing experience working with so many, a predominantly female set. All of the producers, most of the writers, the actors, our directors to be on a film. It was the first time I had been on a set where all of Video Village, which is where the producers sit and the writers basically and watch the the monitors. It was all female. And the difference that made in 
working on the set and then just creative conversations, the energy, the tone, everything was, it was very, it was a very different experience, very collaborative, extremely warm and loving and very, I felt very free and supported. And it was also so much fun to watch. I shadowed Reese because I play in her, in the flashbacks, I play young Reese Witherspoon and I was able to shadow her and watch her work and watch everyone work together. And it was just it was such a treat. Let's say uh, you play a young version of Reese Witherspoon's character. And when you first found out you were going to do this role, how did you approach that? I immediately emailed production and asked if I could uh, come and watch her because I wanted to see the sort of the character that I had to build up to what she turns into. So I I listened to her book on tape and I, I watched interview after interview to study her voice, but I really wanted to be on set and and be able to watch her and, and her movements and her choices. And so I, I would just, I would come on set and I would, and I would just watch and study. And then they also recorded some of the scenes from uh, episode one. And so at night I would watch those. So it was just a lot of watching, basically. <laughs> I was I was her stalker, and Tiffany <laughs> Boone, who played Carrie Carrie Washington's um, flashback self. She also, I mean, I thought she was absolutely incredible. She embodied her movements and her facial expressions so way so so well, and she she also was on set. Um, so they really, but they were really, and and Reese was so open. If I had any questions, any at all, she was so available. She recorded her lines one time for me with her husband. It was so cute. It was just, I I don't, I mean, also it's like, it's Reese Witherspoon. Everybody knows who she is. And the fact that she did that for me, I'm just blown away. Yeah. She really, she knows how to lead a ship. That's for sure. Yeah, well, there's something must be so intimate to hear like someone at home reading their lines with their husband, because that's what most actors are doing is their spouse or their roommate, they're practicing those lines sometimes. And to hear that in your ear and know that's just for you has got to just be really touching. Yeah, <laughs> it was. I was so surprised. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe she's doing this for me. But as you uh, kind of hinted at before, Little Fires Everywhere, it hits on a lot of themes that have kind of been bubbling up throughout, <laughs> well, for decades here, but uh, or, or even longer than that, but especially recently in the summer, especially with the race and class. And I'm wondering, what was the tone on set when you guys were exploring those themes or exploring those issues? It was very open and it felt very safe. And I think the most important, there was representation on that set. Most of the women were women of color and they, I know all the writers before they wrote and they got together, they were reading White Fragility. They were reading books and having conversations about how do you talk, how do you talk about these issues in the right way? Also, how do you make space and give voice to to black women and and what is that what does that look like so i think they they enter the conversation in the way that it should be entered and then also letting those women who have experience lead and that's super important so i remember i was there on set when they had the um, the scene where carrie washington's character says you didn't make good choices you had good choices oh, and yeah. i don't think i realized when i was sitting there I didn't realize 
what an important moment in my, in my life that was on a, as a person to be able to hear that conversation happen, but also as an actor to watch people collaborate, the, the writer, the director, our showrunner, our producers, the actors who are also producers in terms of talking about the beats of how do they get there? What do they want the audience to see as this conversation is happening? And, and building that together from to the same end goal, but also having different experiences and perspectives and watching that happen really seamlessly and of the same like methodology and like with warmth. It is, and it sounds just absolutely enriching as well. Yeah, very enriching. And what a revelation that that's how people can work, that that is how they do business. That's how they run the show. And that's going forward. Like Lynn Shelton is such a beautiful director and it's such a loss. That was also during the middle of the pandemic that, I mean, that was so hard for so many people I know. And I didn't know her very well, but I got to, I watched her as I was shadowing Reese and we filmed a couple scenes together and her warmth and generosity of spirit and curiosity, the things that people say in their experiences with her and my experiences of her, you know, it's like my first sort of real super physical sex scene and how she handled that was so different from in since experiences since how she took control and directed. I'll just, I'll keep all, I treasure those experiences. And I remember that like, I can bring them into future projects. And that's how, and that's how I guess you, how you keep people living on and learning yeah, just by bringing their spirit onto different shows. And, and for those listening who might not be familiar with Lynn Shelton, she, she passed away, I think because of leukemia in May, is that right? Yeah, it was a blood disease that they didn't catch. She didn't know she had. So it was super random, super, super, super fast, 24 hours or less. It was I'm wow. so sudden. Yeah, it was, I know, it's like 2020. <laughs> it's not, it's, I feel like the world is totally falling apart. It's combusting. Yeah, and it's like that, I can't remember the, the girl who does those YouTube videos where it's like, her later in the pandemic interviewing her early in the pandemic, you know, I'm talking about. And she's like, Oh, you know, it's not like the skies are on fire. Like, well, <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, and uh, like, you know, the, but it's just, it's just, it's just, I'm laughing. And I think you're laughing because it's not funny. It's just so unbelievable what's been happening. And I know we're not the only ones to experience that. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I didn't mean to, I wasn't, Yes, exactly what you're saying. Yeah, I I think just, it's just, for people listening who can't, yeah, I'm sure they got that, but. If you sit on it for too long, it's kind of debilitating. The name of our podcast is I'm So Obsessed. Anna Sophia, what are you currently obsessed with? The Great British baking show I love it so much it's so happy it's so delightful and that's that's been a that's been fun to watch and keep in the background too it's like if you're going about your day working it's nice to be able to listen to their happy little voices and making cakes and such <laughs> I, my, my, I think my favorite parts are when they're watching the oven like they're on the floor 
and they're just looking at those little ovens like i think it's i got the right temperature they're like not sure and it's just like so it's like as dramatic as the godfather or whatever movie you can name but it's also like so simple too it's just like this guy's just wanting his his like crackers not to overbake or something like that right yeah yeah or when they're my favorite part is watching them when they bring it to the table and just hoping and praying that nothing falls nothing goes wrong when they have to plate their um I think it's, it might be episode one or episode two when they have to make the busts, the cake mm. busts, the celebrity cake busts, and one just completely rolls. Where <laughs> 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 they don't look anything like the people and it's just, oh, God bless. But it's I, so, it's, I say it's so, uh, it's so like, they're so supportive of each other though. That's the best part. Cause it's like, I know. In the other series, it would be like, we're going to cut to mer- commercial, like, and just make that moment so horrible for that person. And this one's like, it's okay. You know, I mean, it's not looks, you know, like they admit it, but it's like so funny. I know. I love that they, I think that's why I like the show so much is it's not competitive. They're just competing with themselves, really. And they're also, they're also supportive of each other. And, they get it, they, they just want each other to win. It's, they, they, and they want, they've been working so hard and they're so excited to be there. I, I, and I love their backstories and hearing about how they started baking, especially the young bakers. It's so, it's so precious. I also <laughs> love, um, what is it? Love on the Spectrum. My favorite dating show, personally. I think it's such a great, joyful look at humanity and all different forms of love. It just made, it made me so, I just, I cried in bed every night watching it. It's just so tender. It's so tender. Okay, so we ha- I want to ask you about another project you're on, which is the film Words on Bathroom Walls. Tell me about that and who you play. Words on Bathroom Walls, we, it's based on a YA novel. And it's sort of a reimagined mental health story. Um, it's, a, it's a great book, but it's basically about this, this kid played by Charlie Plummer, who's just awesome. He's such a talent. He's so, so talented. Um, and he is he has schizophrenia and his visions come to life as characters so I play one of his voices embodied and she's this sort of like yoga guru peaceful presence and then Devin Boswick plays his pubescent self anyway there are a lot of great characters and it's him in high school Molly Parker is his mother and she's just fantastic and Taylor Russell is is she's one of my good friends and she's she's also plays his love interest well I'd say more than a love interest I kind of hate that term now I'd say she's (laughs) partner in crime anyway it's about him basically discovering his voice voices and in in high school so it's directed by Tor uh, Freudenthal who did Percy Jackson so it's a really playful look or reimagined look at mental health as um as a coming of age story and how do you talk about it in school how do you come to terms with it in yourself and with your family well and i'm wondering so you have like this big hulu mini series that came out earlier this year this ex- kind of experimental film i wouldn't say experimental but this the quibi uh, uh a horror film uh, series i guess maybe the best way to describe mm-hmm. that um and this indie film and how do you adjust working in those varied environments depends on the tone of the set 
And depending on the location, I mean, I've been working for a really long time. So I think some part of it is, is just second nature, picking up, going to a new place, meeting new people, diving into a story, getting into the character, doing the work and being present on set and doing your best. So I think in terms of um, the first thing I try to do is just create relationships with the people that I'm working with. Cause I think that's whoever you're around, that's the most important aspect and building that community, building that trust and that family, figuring out the character. And, and I, I love rehearsing being on set, knowing the sets, I think, um, no. Uh, and then also just in terms of like a personal level, becoming familiar with, I like if, if I'm on location, getting to know the city so it doesn't feel like I'm locked in my hotel room, I think is really important. And there's definitely been those experiences and those are, <laughs> the, but then I find on those sets, I almost become more close with the people that I'm working with because, because you're just doing the work and you're with, with your people. I think that's really unique. Now, many people grew up seeing you in the film because of Winn-Dixie, and it's been 15 years since that film came out. When you look back at it now, what does it mean to you? You could have seen my face just now. <laughs> my jaw dropped, my eyes got real big. 15 years. 15 years, wow. I know, right? It's, well, and at the same time, it's been 15 years. <laughs> Patrick, I feel old. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing think, at you because you cannot say that. <laughs> I know I can't. I know I can't, but it's also weird. It's just so weird to have full, complete memories of that time. I think, wow, it was 15 years ago. But I, I'm really proud of that movie. I have so many people bring it up, either in interviews or if I meet someone and they have children or they're my age and they grew up with the film and the book themselves. I think it's a testament to good storytelling and just the book is beautiful. Like it all goes back to the material, right? I think the script was amazing. I remember when I met with the producer, Lauren Levine, who I'm still very good friends with. And I just remember meeting her and talking to her about how much I loved the book. And I loved the book when I was a kid and I was so passionate about it. And that's, I think that's how I, I still feel when I, when I, want to tell a movie or a story. I just want to love what the message is. And it was also a dream come true making it as a 12 year old. I mean, we were filming in the forest. We had a tree fort. <laughs> we were using our imaginations. I had the coolest wardrobe. Josh Hutcherson and myself became very good friends. And it was just a beautiful story about friendship and imagination. I know I want to make a movie like that, but for adults. <laughs> Well, I think you're going to have a lot of chances to do that. And I, I want to also mention another notable film that came out that same year was Charlie and the Chocolate Factory with you playing a spot on Violet. And that karate scene kills me to this day. And when you think of that movie, what influence does it have on you as a young actor at that time? I think as a, as a kid, I wasn't thinking about that. You weren't? No, I think I, I was just having a good time. You know, I, <laughs> I wanted to do my best. I had karate practice like every day for three months and I just loved it. I, I was having the time of my life and we were watching sets being built in, I mean, all of the sets were life-size. It was 
before super intense CGI. And Tim Burton was so much fun to work for. He would just giggle. Like if he liked a take, I remember he would just laugh. And that's the best. I mean, that's the best. He, I never remember him raising his voice. He was always really kind. So it was Johnny. I became super close with all of the cast. And yeah, I mean, I was 10, I think. I was, yeah, I was 10. So I was just being a bratty little kid when we were filming and then going to set and living in London. I just, I was just living my best life. I didn't, I didn't know. I had no idea. Well, and there's, there's kind of a cliche with young actors becoming, like child stars becoming like an a- adult actor. And some of that is real and some of it's sad, but that is a lot of times child stars have troubles when they become an adult. It seems to me you've largely navigated those pitfalls rather well. And I'm wondering, why do you think that is? Well, thank you. I am crazy. Uh, I just <laughs> <laughs> pretending to be sane. I, I mean, it's definitely my, my parents are great. Education was always super important to me personally. And well, I think also my parents trusted me. They were never pushing me into anything. So when we looked at projects and I know I'm super privileged and like, I, I also know that that is a very unique position for a lot of young actors. And I was fortunate enough that I started working at a young age. I, my first movie was Because of Winn-Dixie, which is also a beautiful, beautiful story and book. And so when I had opportunities or I did go on auditions, it was something my mom would always be like, oh, this is fun or let's explore this. And if I didn't get a project, she'd say, it's like ice cream. What, you know, if you are wanting mint chocolate chip, but you are strawberry, they're just going to want mint chocolate chip. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't devalue strawberry. And I think that was a really healthy way of looking at it as a child, because I was like, well, I love strawberry and I love mint chocolate chip. I love all ice cream. And I didn't, so I didn't feel like a personal attack. Like I wasn't good enough, you know? And I say that's uh, your mom. That's such a beautiful analogy. And I wish even at a, uh, a young actor when I was selecting that someone had told me that because like, yeah, it's okay to be strawberry or, you know, whatever, pistachio or whatever you are, you know? Yeah. I mean, now I'm like, I'm not, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you gotta, you have to tell that to your adult self also. But then education was also really, when I was working, I didn't have to work and I loved school and I loved my school. I think setting that up was like, is this a good enough story? There are a lot of bad scripts. <laughs> I was like, is this, is this good enough? And if it was, then we would go. And if it wasn't, then I'd stay in school. And I went to college. I always wanted to go to a university and get a liberal arts degree. And I worked throughout college, but at the same time, it was like, I'm loving, I mean, I'm paying up the wazoo tuition at NYU. <laughs> I was like, oh, Oh yeah, that'll do it, right? Am I going to be missing class for this or am am I going to be working? And so I think that was the sort of mandate in my head for a long time. And now I'm out of school. So now it's harder. (laughs) No, (laughs) I'm just kidding. But it, um, yeah, it set me up, um, I think, to, to try to pick not out of desperation, even though I still have that like really hunger and I, and I feel very lucky, um, very blessed. I imagine that I have a lot of things going on and rank them and prioritize them, even if I do not. 
<laughs> I think that is a really good indication of like, okay, what, what stories are really important to me? So I think just kind of segueing off that a little bit, like what advice would you give other young performers, especially girls about working in TV and film as, as a child or as a young adult? I'd say that ice cream, that ice cream advice my mom gave me, you know, you, you might be a different flavor than they're looking for. Um, I'd say operate not out of scarcity. I think we have a scarcity mentality in Western culture where we think that we never have enough. I mean, it's consumerism, it's capitalism. That's our, if we're operating from scarcity, then we're never going to feel like we have enough, that we are enough, and we're never going to celebrate other people. But if you think that there's always going to be more work, that I can self-generate my own work if I'm not getting work with friends, with people I trust, with artists I respect, then there's always going to be enough. And I think raising up other people and just trying to be a team player is the is super, super important. And I think um, I didn't play sports when I was a kid because I was working. <laughs> but I was on sets and that works like a team, you know, and everybody has a role to do. And if you don't, if one person is missing, then everything falls apart. And so I think valuing everybody's role on the set from a PA to the crafty person, to our script supervisor, to the director, to the lead actor, to the background artist, everybody is very vital to telling the same story. And I think recognizing that value is is really important and show up on time be early (laughs) don't just show up on time just be early I have to tell myself that because I'm bad with time management but like if you know that you're a late person just bottom line (laughs) no this is amazing it's just so wonderful to hear you say this because a lot of I did a lot more theater than film but it's almost exactly the same stuff like the teamwork the collaboration value everyone's role. I would say you're getting ready to go into um, the, sh- uh, the film Dr. Death for Peacock or NBC. What can you tell me about that? Yeah, it's, um, it's a limited series on Peacock. It's based on the podcast, Dr. Death. So if listeners haven't listened to it, they should check it out. Um, it's a true crime story about this doctor who is a neurosurgeon and he ended up either killing or maiming or seriously injuring 33 out of his 38 patients that he had in the time that he was practicing. And two other doctors figured out that he was really hurting people and that hospitals, that hospitals that he was working at were doing nothing about it. And so they went after him. They tried to take him down and they had a really hard time because no one wanted to take responsibility. They would just send him on. And he ended up, um, they ended up getting the authorities involved. And that's where I come in. I played the assistant district attorney who ended up prosecuting Dr. Dunge. So it's that, it's, it's a really, the scripts are amazing. Our cast is awesome. It, um, Alec Baldwin, Christian Slater, Grace Gummer, I don't know if I'm allowed to reveal Dr. Death yet. I don't know if they've made that announcement yet. So, as okay, I got to ask this then. Like, so obviously the pandemic stuff's going on. It has just killed everything for months when, in terms of especially production work, especially films and TV. What is it like to go back into that? What are the things they're telling you you have to do and protocols you have to, to have coming to set like that? <laughs> I 
want them to email me. I think they're constantly, <laughs> I think they're constantly changing. I mean, I know that there's testing three times a week. I know that there are different um, pods depending on where you are in production and who you're interacting with. So everybody's in mass, but like we're, fil- we're filming on a set. So it would be a cleaning crew comes and then they leave and then the lighting crew comes and then a cleaning crew comes. And then, so each department, there's a cleaning crew that comes in between and they have to have multiples. Like if there is a prop, they have to have, instead of, you know, on a normal set without the pandemic, you'd have maybe a multiple of three. Now they have to have multiples of 25 because you don't know how many takes they're doing, but if multiple people are touching one thing, you have to, you have to be able to clean it. So I think that's also why a lot of only bigger shows are being able to start back up because it's just, the process is so much more expensive because they have to be so much more careful and our hours are shorter. We're doing French hours, I think just to keep everybody healthy and safe. Oh, I say, what is French hours for those of us who don't know? Um, like a normal set would be 12. Like we'd work 12 to 14. And I think French is like eight or 10. Oh, okay. So for <laughs> people who aren't interested in that, it's like a normal job, a normal day. Yeah, like a normal job. <laughs> okay, I want to wrap up real quick with a thing called pick one. I give you a couple of choices. You pick one. It doesn't mean one is better than the other. Some of them are tough and we encourage you to talk it out. So let's play pick one. How's it sound? That sounds fun. The first one is film or TV? TV right now, just right now, because there's great TV right now. Okay. And then the next one is Twitter or Instagram? Instagram. How come? Um, Twitter just overwhelms me so much. And people have so, it's just people's opinions, right? It's just people's opinions constantly, or at least I find. And I like the visual medium of Instagram. I think this is why we get along. I completely agree with that. Um, all right, this one is a tough one. Again, it's not about which one's better. It's just which one you pick. Playing Leslie in The Bridge to Terabithia or playing young Carrie Bradshaw in The Carrie Diaries? Ah, mm. uh, I don't know. I think they were important for both times of my life. I was 12. That was really freeing. I remember I was going through puberty, so I was like so sweaty. So that scene where I like have to lift my arms up, I was so scared because I was like, I have the worst pit stains ever. I know. And now I'm an adult and I'm like, I don't really care. You know, everybody sweats, but I was like in puberty and I was like, this would be the most mortifying thing ever. So that was an important role. (laughs) It was important for a lot more reasons. And then Carrie Bradshaw was like, who, who, no one gets to play Carrie Bradshaw except for Sarah Jessica Parker. <laughs> so that was also pretty cool. Can I not choose? <laughs> I think that, I think you talked it out. I, we'll, we'll move on from that. Um, I got two more for you. One is uh, New York, LA, or Denver? New York, always. I'm definitely a New York person. I love the city. Like, even when it's cold and miserable and you hate it, there's like a love hate relationship but I'd rather feel something deeply. <laughs> and I love... <laughs> that's a great answer. That is a great answer. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a city person for you. <laughs> that was a very city person. Um, okay, my last one for you is Instagram live workout videos or embroidery? Pick one. Ooh, 
Instagram live workout videos. I love them. <laughs> God bless all of the workout people who are doing live things, <laughs> keeping us going. So okay. it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. And I have loved this conversation so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Honestly. Yeah, this has been such a treat. Thanks so much, Patrick. I want to thank Anna Sophia for chatting with me. And I want to thank you for listening. You can watch Little Fires Everywhere on Hulu. And please take a moment and subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. If you really like this episode, please rate it. Until next time, take care.